Hello and welcome to Pole Position, a podcast series from the Hoover Institution covering the 2016 election season. Pole Position is hosted by Hoover Research Fellow Bill Whalen, an expert in U.S. and California politics and elections. Hello, it's Monday, October the 31st, and welcome to Pole Position, the Hoover Institution's ongoing look at the 2016 election, now just a week away. How's that for scary? I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Joining me today, Carson Bruno, a Hoover Institution Research Fellow and Analyst of All Things California. Carson, good to have you here. Thanks a lot, Bill. So we're going to segue today from national politics into California, specifically the Hoover Institution's Golden State Poll, which is just hot off the press, in which we look at several races. And let's begin with the big one, Carson, at the top of the ticket, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. What do we show? Yeah, well, there's... No surprises here. Hillary Clinton is definitely going to be winning California's 55 Electoral College votes um, on November 8th. It should be a race that is called almost immediately once polls close uh, here on the West Coast. Uh, Clinton is ahead with 54 percent to Donald Trump's 30 percent. The interesting thing here is uh, Donald Trump's 30 percent is actually the lowest uh, that a Republican presidential nominee has registered in the state of California going back to 1992. Uh, And largely what's driving that is, of course, the normal things, the age gap, uh, young millennials uh, are overwhelmingly supporting uh, Hillary Clinton, um, as well as, you know, strong uh, support amongst the California's independent uh, voters, MPPs. Uh, But what's really driving this is the fact that Donald Trump really hasn't locked down the Republican uh, Republican vote. Uh, right. right now, our poll is showing that just 76% of self-identified Republicans are supporting Donald Trump. This is versus 87% of self-identified Democrats who are supporting Hillary Clinton. Right. Now, to put that Trump number in context, now we have about 9% undecided, I believe, in the presidential polls. 7% of that dribbles off to Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. But let's say that that 9% breaks 6% for Hillary and 3% for Trump. So he's looking at 33%. To put this in historical context, You go back to 1936, and the great Alf Landon limps in with 31.7% of the vote in an election in which he loses 46 of 48 states to Franklin Roosevelt. Herbert Hoover gets 37.4% in 1932, which is about roughly where Romney and McCain were in the last two elections. Al Smith in 1928, who lost to Hoover, got 34.2%. So this is rarefied climbs for a Republican in California. But one thing which strikes me as unusual here, uh, Carson, the big picture of California, this will be the seventh straight time that a Democrat has carried California presidentially, and I went back all the way to 1854 and the first time California voted in a presidential election, excuse me, 1852, and guess what? There's never been a seven-party winning streak in California. The Republicans carried it six times from 1968 to 1988, but that's with favorite sons, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, on the ticket for those times. So, you know, California is a seriously blue outfit right now. Uh, but you look inside of the Clinton-Trump numbers, and it seems to me that this is sort of a metaphor for the national campaign in this regard. If you look at the cornerstones of her, her lead in California, I see millennials, where she leads 64 to 18. Um, white voters, she's up 50 to 34. Hispanic voters, she leads 63 to 24 uh, percent. She has a two-to-one margin, 55 to 27 among women. And then you look at Trump, Carson, and you see that only 76 percent of Republicans support him. And look, Mitt Romney got 93 percent of the Republican vote in 2012. John McCain got about 90 percent. So this is this is a very bad situation to be in, to put it lightly. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think going back, especially to the white voters, a lot there's been a lot of focus uh, nationally on kind of how white voters are going to be voting in the presidential election. And California is a place where typically Republicans will split the, the white voters. Here you're seeing uh, Hillary Clinton at 50 percent, uh, but only 34 percent of white voters supporting Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. So you, you really have to make up the difference there, especially then also with minority voters and the young voters in the state of California to really try to get up into the, the high 30s, low 40 percent range. Other number that caught my eye was when we asked voters in this poll, are you pro-Trump or anti-Hillary? Are you pro-Hillary or anti-Trump? His numbers, 51 percent of his supporters are anti-Hillary. Only 49 percent are pro-Trump. Her numbers are much stronger. I believe about 63 percent of hers were pro-Hillary and 36 percent anti-Trump. So again, I think that speaks to the problem Trump has had in getting Republicans on board with this campaign. Yeah, definitely. You know, especially when you look at the Sanders voters from the Democratic primary versus all the other Republican voters from the Republican primary. Uh, when you ask them, are you for, is your vote for Hillary Clinton against uh, Donald Trump, for Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton? Uh, Sanders voters, uh, only 55% say they are voting for Clinton because they're against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Republican side, 79% uh, of all those who voted for another Republican other than Trump uh, are saying they're voting for Donald, Donald Trump because they're against uh, right. uh, Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, that's a huge number, and that's really probably what's driving uh, his lack of support amongst Republican voters overall. And a final thing about the presidential numbers, Carson, Gary Johnson and Joe Stein. What happened? You know, you would expect to see uh, strong some, support. This is supposed to be 10 to 15 percent of the exactly. electorate. You'd expect to see strong support for especially the Libertarians uh, here in California, as well as the Green uh, Green Party in the state of California. Uh, they seem to be natural places for disenfranchised uh, Sanders voters and uh, you know non-Trump Republican voters to go. Uh, but they're really not showing up at the polls. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how those actually do play out at the end of the day. Good. All right. So it looks like Hillary Clinton wins California. <laughs> News at 11. <laughs> Let's shift gears now and talk about the U.S. Senate race between Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez, the first time in California history that we've had a general election featuring two Democrats. I should say a general election, a Senate campaign featuring two Democrats. Carson, what are the numbers? It looks good for Kamala Harris right now. Uh, she is leading 41% to 22%, basically doubling uh, Loretta Sanchez's support, who, is, uh, who represents part of uh, Orange County in Southern California. Right. Big, big undecided number. Huge undecided number. Um, yeah, 37% uh, are undecided at this point about who to support. And this really is a, uh, a strong indictment uh, of the top two system. Uh, it's the first time that, again, we have an intra-party statewide uh, race when it comes to uh, the when it comes to the U.S. Senate race, um, and it's this is supposed to kind of really try to galvanize voter support, voter interest uh, in California's elections. But what you're finding is really both candidates aren't really advertising too much, mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, voters are really kind of left kind of scratching their heads about who to support. Now, one thing about this contest, Carson, I've seen more advertisements featuring Bernie Sanders, who has become a spokesman for Proposition 61, which we'll get to in a minute, than I have either of these Senate candidates. But you look inside the numbers, and what do I see? Kamala Harris, who, like Barack Obama, is multiracial. She is uh, uh, African-American and Asian. She leads blacks 71% to 11%. Loretta Sanchez is obviously Latino. 
she is actually trailing among Latinos, 34 to 33, statistically a draw. Um, she has failed to make inroads with the Latino community, and she also has failed to make inroads with Republicans, which in theory if she's going to beat Kamala Harris, who's the prohibitive Democratic favorite. The president supports her. Barbara Boxer, whose seat she aims to replace, supports her as well. She leads only 21 percent to 15 percent among Republicans. 64 percent of Republicans are not sure how to vote in that. I don't know if that's, you can't come to grips with the idea of voting for a Democrat or they just can't decide if they want to vote, period. But uh, this is just a race that's off the radar screen. Yeah, yeah. You know, Harris has always been the the front runner, the kind of the the, the top dog in this race. Um, but Sanchez had a opportunity to really make a surprise victory, and that required her to really nail down the Latino vote uh, mm -hmm. throughout California, which is a growing uh, growing share of voters within the state of California, and then become the consensus choice for Republican voters uh, who don't have a a horse in this race. Um, as well as the MPP, the independent voters. Right. Um, and what you're seeing is she's only, I mean, she's only tied with uh, Latinos in, in the state. Uh, she is nominally winning Republicans, but not you know, overwhelmingly. Uh, she's actually losing the independent vote. Uh, so she's not making the kind of the grand coalition. She's not building that grand coalition that she really needed to build to have a chance to win this race. She's also losing among women 39% to 21%. Yeah. I think there's an easy moral to this story that if you're going to run for the Senate in California, especially as an anti-establishment candidate, which she is in effect as a Democrat running in many ways against the Democratic establishment, you need a lot of financial help. You do. You do. Either you better, better, better be able to write yourself a check for $50 million or find a lot of people out of state willing to give you money to do that. But here, I think, Carson, the landscape hurts you. And that let's say that Republicans wanted to be mischievous and they didn't like Kamala Harris because they think she's just going to be a really bad liberal vote in the Senate. They might want to come in and put in the more conservative of the two Democrats because Sanchez is, by measure, more conservative than, than Harris is. Right. But you look at the national landscape and Republicans are playing defense in about every time zone. They don't have the money and the resources or the interest in coming out to California and playing in that race. Absolutely, yeah. The, definitely the national stage has hurt them in that regard about thinking strategically. Um, also, when you look at this, 64% of re uh, registered or self-identified Republicans being unsure, undecided about this race, again, that's another indictment of the top two system. Uh, yeah. we, we should be seeing a lot more support and a lot more st strategic voting uh, in order to make the top two system actually achieve what it's supposed to achieve, which is to create right. moderate candidates. So a 41-22 race with 37% undecided, let's say the undecided split each way, it's about a 60-40 race, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then the question is, what happens to Kamala Harris when she goes to Washington? I'll throw a, throw a scenario at you. What if, for some reason, Hillary Clinton loses the election? Let's just say, what if? The Democratic Party is now scrambling to find leaders. I'm not saying that she would be in the same position Barack Obama was in, tw in 2008, running with only four years' experience in the Senate. But given that she's from California, given her gender and her background, she'd be a very interesting running mate for a Democrat in 2020. So... That's a lot of ifs, granted, but you know, we'll be interesting to see what she does in terms of national profile, because if you look at the two California senators right now, Dianne Feinstein's the workhorse of the two, and Barbara Boxer's always been more the show horse. So we'll see, we'll see what role Harris decides to draw for herself. Definitely. I mean, Kamala Harris is going places, that's for sure. Whenever she gets to Washington, it's just a matter of what, what places she's gonna, she plans on going to. Okay, down the meat of the ballot. Literally the meat, if you pick up that 224-page voter guide, I found it's very handy for bicep curls <laughs> and door stops. The propositions, let's begin with the Prop 55, Carson, which is extending the quote-unquote temporary tax increase passed in uh, 2012. That was Proposition 30. Tell us what Proposition uh, Prop 55 is faring. 
It's actually doing very well. Um, 50, 59% say they plan to vote yes uh, versus 29% right. uh, for propositions. That's a, a very safe place to be in mm -hmm. early polling. Um, right. uh, because typically the unsures, the not sures typically vote uh, or uh, you know, head right. towards the no. The good uh, rule side. of thumb in California politics is if an initiative is polling below 55%, closer to 50%, it's going to be in trouble because the late voters are going to break against yeah. it. But if you're above 55 towards 60, you're probably you're probably in good shape. And it's largely it's largely because you know all the you know the, the Democratic leading uh, subgroups are are overwhelmingly supporting it, uh, but also a third of Republicans uh, are supporting right. it. So definitely there there's some uh, the message is responding well to the the greater electorate in California. Right. So first thing I notice, younger Californians really like this initiative. Uh, we uh, at the Golden State poll breaks down by age group. Uh, we do 18 to 30, then we do uh, 30 to 45. Uh, the youngest voters uh, give it 65% or 68% approval, and then the uh, other young group gives it about 65% approval. Two out of three voters, so they're very happy about it. You're right, 31% of conservatives, um, mm -hmm. that includes 30% of Republicans, support this as well. 55% of independents are behind this as well, so this has got a solid backing. It definitely does. And when you look at, we, we asked uh, of the supporters of these propositions in the new Golden State poll, mm -hmm. we asked them a bunch of questions about why they're supporting it, kind of get a sense of what the motivation is behind their support. Right. Uh, and when you look at it, 91% uh, agree that K-12 and community colleges need more funding. Uh, that was the number one kind of motivation behind uh, supporting Proposition 55. Right. Uh, the second one being the wealthy should be paying more taxes. So you're seeing this little bit of kind of the youth utilitarian kind of practical approach to supporting these measures, but also the ideological approach uh, to supporting some of these measures. Uh, and that really kind of gets to the heart of what really the, the yes on Prop 55 campaign has been pushing, that it is about K-12 community college education spending, and it is about kind of making sure that the California's wealthiest are paying their fair share. So what struck me as funny is we also break down our poll by, by financial groups, uh, income groups, and and those voters we polled who make $100,000 or more, 55% of them support this. So maybe they just numb to higher taxes in California. I don't know. But I'm going to chalk this up to two things. One is message discipline. There's a lesson in here for Republicans trying to figure out how to move forward post-Trump. And one is simple message discipline. Jerry Brown first pushed this idea in Prop 30, the idea of raising taxes on the wealthiest Californians with the money going to the budget, but as he sold it, going to schools. Mm -hmm. And he preached on that throughout that campaign. This is for the kids. This is for schools. This is for the kids. And here you are four years later trying to extend a measure is supposed to die, but not trying to extend it for another 12 years. And you look at the ads right now, it features uh, the state controller, Betty Yee, and what's the first thing she's saying? We have to keep funding our schools. Don't let this happen. So they're exactly on message on this in terms of hitting on education. Um, they do mention at the end of that message, by the way, about horrible budget deficits, but I noticed in our poll, Carson, budget deficits don't quite resonate with people. Now, maybe that's just a function they don't pay that close attention to California. But So one thing I take out of this is, is just simple message discipline. Secondly, there's a very cynical insider game here for Sacramento. Um, there is a reason why you don't see a lot of opposition on TV to Prop 55. I mean, big dollar opposition, just as you don't see big dollar opposition to Prop 57, which is Governor Brown's uh, prison parole reform plan. And that's because in Sacramento, nobody wants to poke the bear. Right. And right. the bear's name is Jerry, <laughs> as in Jerry Brown, Governor Brown. Nobody wants to get on the governor's wrong side. Now, Governor Brown has not said that he supports Prop 55. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he 
has always tried to stay out of this. He's, he wants to stand his ground saying, I believe in a temporary uh, tax increase, but obviously he wants the money for the budget. If you oppose Prop 55, you're complicating life for Jerry Brown. You will earn his wrath, just as if you oppose Prop 55 as well. So the usual suspects who would oppose a tax like the Chamber of Commerce, groups like that, you don't see them fighting this war. Absolutely. We didn't see them come out against Prop 30 in 2012. Uh, they remained all very uh, quiet and neutral. Uh, the Cal Chamber and many other business groups have come out against this uh, in full-fledged opposition. Yeah. But you're right. They're not spending the amount of money that they need to spend in order to make sure that it fails on November 8th. It's very simple, folks. Just turn on your TV and you're going to see relentless ads pro-55 and relentless against. Speaking of relentless advertising, this may be the mother of all ballot initiatives in terms of dollars spent in this election, and that is Proposition 6 which has to do with drug prices. The idea of this initiative being that the state of California will not spend more on drug prices than uh, the United States government does for the Federal Department of Veteran Affairs. So Carson, tell us how Prop 61 is doing. Well, the, the yes on uh, Prop 61 campaign will, will try to tout these as good numbers at 51% yes, 24% no. However, as we mentioned with the Prop 55, you want to see a little bit uh, higher into the 50s, into the low 60s percent uh, to be in safe territory heading into the, 25, into the election. 25 percent undecided. Yes, yes. Right. So th this is um, this is looking good, but is definitely not uh, in a solid on solid footing uh, right. heading into the November 8th election. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's largely because, you know, independents are not really too thrilled on this idea. Uh, just 44% say uh, they plan to vote yes on Prop 61. Also moderates, which typically tend to be a, a slightly Democratic-leaning group, right. um, only 47% of them are, say that they plan to vote yes on this proposition. So right. while you do see uh, significant support amongst uh, millennials, the 18 to 29 group at 59%, and of course with Democrats uh, and, of, and Clinton and, and both Clinton and Sanders supporters uh, in the, uh, the, the low 60 percent, right. um, this is not where Prop 61 wants to be right now, heading with, into the last two weeks of the election. A couple of numbers that caught my eye. Um, this idea is stronger with minorities than it is white voters. 76% support among uh, black voters we polled, 50% support among white voters. So there's a bit of a racial tinge here. It's stronger with males who support it with a 55% margin than with females, 47%. And at the risk of sounding like a misogynist, you would think that the idea of drug prices, which means what more humane treatment of people, uh, that might work better with women, but it apparently hasn't worked that way. Liberals love it by a six to one margin. Conservatives aren't that wild about it. You mentioned moderates. Um, here's the poll number that jumped out at me. Now, maybe we just caught a goofy sample of, of Democratic voters, but this actually polled better with Hillary Clinton supporters with 63% than Bernie Sanders supporters with 59%. Now, maybe we got too small of a sample, but Bernie people, but I see the pro 61 ads on TV, Carson. They ain't featuring Hillary Clinton, they feature Bernie Sanders. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> also, those billboards, if you drive up, uh, you know, I-80, right. you see massive billboards, you know, saying Bernie supports it, you know, vote yes on 61. Mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting. It could be just a statistical blip uh, within the within the, the survey. How However, still, I mean, again, Sanders supporters are less supportive, but still quite supportive of, right. of, the, of the proposition than Clinton supporters. It could also just be the fact that um, 
you know, largely Sanders has been kind of out of the national uh, uh, spotlight for quite some time. All the focus has been on Hillary Clinton. Right. Of course, Hillary Clinton has adopted much of the Sanders campaign platform uh, throughout the, the months. Uh, so it could just be kind of a, a conflation of the two uh, two politicians in the in the minds of a it lot could of be, their supporters. It could be a little do-as-I-say problem in that Bernie is telling his people to vote for Hillary and you don't see the feel the burn crowd moving over to her, as you might think. So maybe they don't naturally move, as he says, on the drug thing. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's easy to armchair quarterback these things, but we asked for the best arguments on Pro 61, and the best one was making life-saving drugs mm-hmm. affordable. So uh, politics being a very cynical game, especially in the implement of 30-second ads, rather than having Bernie Sanders starring your ads, why don't you put a cancer victim on ads right. or somebody whose life has been made possible by drugs and make this more of a human thing than just having Bernie rant and rave about about drug prices. And interestingly enough, the no on Prop 61 campaign is actually doing they're just that. Pushing they're, that button with veterans. They're, right. they're using veterans. They're using the people that theoretically the, the opponents of Prop 61 are saying will actually hurt those individuals, using veterans particularly, um, trying to make the claim that this will make their, their drugs unaffordable. Uh, and trying to kind of push that no uh, argument. Uh, so that is a, a, a winning argument for the no side. It's also a winning argument for the yes side, kind of right. depending on who they have in front of the camera uh, there. The, the second best motivation for Prop 61, of course, is uh, companies are profiting too much off of people's illnesses and suffering. Right. Uh, that's definitely kind of the ideological, that's the, that's the Bernie uh, argument right there, that the, you know, the billionaires are trying to uh, pad their pockets. Um, so it's definitely something that the yes campaign could be using a little bit more of. All right, so we have Prop 51 at 50, uh, 61 at 51% yes and 24% no, but 25%. So if you and I were wagering here, we'd probably wager it goes down. I, I, if I had to put money on it, I'd say this is going to very, very closely be defeated uh, come November 8th. Okay. Now we're going to talk about a pair of uh, uh, propositions, Proposition 62 and 66, both having to do with California's death penalty. Prop 62, Carson would repeal the death penalty, and Prop 66 would actually accelerate the death penalty process by speeding up the appeals process. Uh, Carson, tell us how 62 is doing, then tell us how 66 is faring. Well, largely it looks like California come November 9th will have a status quo when it comes to the death penalty, Mm -hmm. Uh, a costly death penalty that is rarely ever used. Um, That's because both look to be heading to defeat. Uh, Proposition 62 is tied 42-43%, 42% being yes. On Proposition 66, uh, we have uh, the yes side at 38% versus 24%. Of course, the the not sure is being quite sizable in both of those cases. and this is really kind of goes to this idea that California has flirted with you know, getting rid of the death penalty on m- numerous occasions, uh, never has quite worked out for the opponents of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, especially with kind of the, the two propositions that uh, send kind of differing kind of approaches to how do you deal with the death penalty, I think it's going to confuse a lot of voters. Um, and at the end of the day, if voters are confused, they vote no yeah. on both. I have not seen an ad for either initiative. Correct. Correct. Um, they they just seem between the 61 money fest that's going on, the Prop 55 ads, I don't know if they're saving it for the last last few days of the election or not, but neither one has been in front of the voters, so maybe that's one problem here. Uh, I did notice looking at the 62 numbers, Carson, that um, age is a big factor here, that mm-hmm. uh, 18 to 29-year-olds favor it, but then you start going up the age groups and the support falls off from 46%, 39%, 37%. Um, 
and most more popular with uh, African Americans repealing than whites. Uh, 46, 25 percent for blacks, 45, 44 for whites. Uh, not surprisingly, 58 percent of Democrats want to appeal it. 70 percent of Republicans oppose. Independents are split right down the middle, 41 to 41, and that's the ball game on a measure like this. Independents. Right, right, and especially the the African American numbers are quite revealing. It. Uh, amongst Latinos, amongst Asians, and then largely amongst whites, it's either statistically tied, uh, Prop 62, the repeal of death, the death penalty, or underwater. Uh, the African Americans are the only ones that are really supporting uh, the, the the measure. Um, and I think that goes to the the idea of this kind of criminal justice that the, the typically, uh, on average, uh, African Americans tend to be much more on death row than any other demographic is. Uh, so it's a really a, a personal issue for many African Americans in the state of California. Right. Now, pouring through Prop 66 numbers uh, from our poll, uh, the unknowns, the undecideds are just whopping here. Um, I wonder if the people who, who answered the survey knew exactly what 66 was. There seemed to be some confusion in some of their answers. Yeah, I mean, repeal is easy. People understand what repeal means. Right. Uh, when you go into process reform and you speeding up the appeals process and changing kind of how the system works, uh, that's a lot for uh, any voter to kind of wrap their head around, especially uh, when it's as complicated as something as the death penalty in the legal world that the death penalty lives within. Right. Um, so it's something that I feel like that's going to be a reflexive vote at the end of the day, uh, whether people like the death penalty, whether they think it's a useful uh, criminal justice tool, mm -hmm. uh, which we find in the motivation question that that is the, the number one uh, of both the death penalty measures. That's the highest registering uh, motivate motivation that they think the death penalty is an important public safety measure. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like that's going to be kind of the, uh, the the leading cause, whether people vote yes, no, or just kind of mm -hmm. leave the votes blank. So here we have a problem with the initiative process. Uh, Californians writ large are unhappy with the death penalty in this regard. Either they believe it should not exist or they believe it should be used a lot more often than it is. And so we seem headed to two initiatives which are going to solve neither by, by both failing to right. pass. And you know, the interesting thing is, I get asked this a lot, what happens if both pass? You know, right. we, we have one that repeals it, one that you know, changes the system. Uh, what happens if they both uh, pass? And at the end of the day, it, it's the one that gets more votes. More votes wins. Um, so even if they both pass, if one gets you know, one more vote than the other, then that one will go into effect. Right. But at 42% um, uh, for Prop 63 and 38% for Prop 66, it's going to be hard for either one to jump up to 50%. With Correct. That. Final thing about that, by the way, is the, uh, getting back to messaging, is that the strongest argument on the death penalty seems to be one of public safety. And the weakest one per our poll is deterrent. Mm -hmm. And that caught my eye because having written a lot of speeches for Republicans over the years, they all love to say it's a deterrent. It's the ultimate deterrent. Well, luckily, it seems like Californians are at least aware that you know, all the research suggests that the death penalty is not a deterrent. Right. Uh, there's a lot of other arguments for the death penalty, uh, but that definitely isn't one. Uh, and that seems to be one that at least death penalty proponents aren't pushing really too much anymore because the evidence really isn't backing them that up That would there. suggest to me, though, if you're looking at the death penalty numbers and you see that uh, younger voters are opposed to it, tend to be more opposed than older voters, uh, you need to be thinking about how to tailor your message down the road because this won't be the last time that California takes a road at repealing the death penalty. Absolutely not. You know, the best, the best. Uh, it seems like the best argument, especially for conservatives, for right-of-center people, for fiscal conservatives, really is on the Prop 66, the, the, the reform of the death penalty, is the idea of reducing the cost of the death penalty. Right. That seems to be where kind of the conservative movement is going when it comes to uh, supporting the death penalty, trying to reform it to make it less costly, a little bit more affordable, uh, kind of a good government sort of approach to, to, the, to the process. One final initiative that we polled, and that's Proposition 64, which would legalize recreational use of marijuana in California. Drum roll. Carson, what do we have? 
it looks like after a, a quite a few uh, attempts to legalize recre recreational use of marijuana, uh, this one might actually be the one to get across the finish line. Uh, right. We're at 56% yes, uh, which is just kind of trending into that safe territory where you want to be a few weeks out of the general election. 34% uh, no, just 10%. 10% unsure right. about how they plan to vote. And again here, I mean, the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest difference here, the biggest numbers here are is the age gap. You have uh, the 18 to 29 uh, year olds uh, supporting it by 46% versus uh, the 65 plus uh, not supporting it by uh, two points. So you have a, a 48 point age gap, which is massive. And that's really what's driving the support here. Now, just so people don't start lighting up on November the 9th, I believe this goes into effect at the beginning of the new year. Um, so don't, you got to don't smoke it until um, till the new year. Um, yeah, it was interesting to look at the age support. Um, youngest voters support it uh, with almost 70%. Uh, older voters only support about 42%. More male than female support on this matter. Um, Democratic support and Republican support almost offset, opposition almost offset each other. Democrats, uh, two-thirds support. About 60% of Republicans oppose. Uh, but again, independence being the deciding factor, independents support this measure 61 to 27%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's interesting, you know, about a third of Republicans, a third of conservatives are, are supporting it. So you do see a sh kind of a, a, a slow shift in the thinking amongst Republicans and conservatives. That's a here great in point. Great point to make. The conservative opposition was only 61%, and only, I mean, you think it'd be 80 or 90 even higher. And here's the question, Carson um, Republicans cope with the idea of how to appeal to millennials, how to appeal to younger voters. And this gets into a question at all times of changing sensibilities. And you've seen the Republican Party thrash around on this having to do with same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, I would contend that marijuana legalization is now starting to go down that same road. You've seen it pass now in, what, in uh, Colorado, uh, Washington State, I think Oregon also did it. Now California is doing it. This creates a question for Republicans moving forward. Do you slowly embrace marijuana legalization? Do you make it less of a showcase issue? Do you sort of retreat and kind of, you know, refigure your battle against maybe smoking pot legally as to what you do with the proceeds or, or what? But, you know, Republicans have to look at that and especially look at the independent numbers and think that, you know, maybe maybe we're just on the losing side of this one. Definitely. And, and even amongst young, uh, you know, the millennial Republicans, uh, there is a growing support for it. They generally are more supportive of it. Uh, so it seems to be something that where the party will just naturally trend to go mm -hmm. as those young millennial Republicans kind of take over more of a leadership role within the party. Uh, but it is something that the party needs to think about because this issue isn't going away. Uh, it's hard to do this as a patchwork uh, issue across the, across the 50 states. At some point, the federal government's going to have to get involved. Uh, and at that point, Republicans are will probably want to be at the table in making those decisions. What were, by the way, what were the best arguments in favor of legalizing marijuana? Uh, again, we go back to kind of the practical also versus the, you know, the ideological. Uh, mm -hmm. The best uh, motivating point was people should have the right to use marijuana, uh, which actually, if you think about it, really isn't a progressive argument. It's more of a libertarian, libertarian argument. argument. Exactly. Uh, so again, in a sense for Republicans, uh, they can really kind of co-opt a lot of uh, the libertarian movements, uh, messaging and platform in, in this regard uh, that finds a natural constituency within the conservative movement, the Republican, uh, Republican Party. Right. Uh, the next best argument being uh, the taxes will bring needed money to state and local governments. So again, that practical, the utilitarian sort of approach where this will bring kind of a, a, a nice kind of budget buffer uh, right. for many programs and many uh, issues that people really care about. Okay. So as we wrap up this podcast, uh, let's end this on a personal note. 
this is the last time I'll be talking to you here at the Hoover Institution. You're about to lead us, leave us for Malibu. What are you doing in Malibu? I am, yes. It's a bittersweet moment, uh, but I've been named the new assistant dean for mission and public uh, and, pr and program relations at the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine University. Uh, really excited about new opportunities there and, and hopefully be you know, training the next great minds in, in the policy world uh, coming out of Pepperdine. Uh, but you know, it's been great being here at Hoover, uh, being a part of the Golden State Pool team, and I look forward to now being a consumer of uh, Hoover's products, uh, not just someone who has been behind the scenes. Do us a favor, don't lose sight of California. We can always benefit from your analyses. Thank you, Bill. Carson Bruno, great talking to you today. You've been listening to Pole Position, a broadcast by the Hoover Institution. For more information about the Hoover Institution, please visit our website. That's www.hoover.org. And while you're there, I encourage you to sign up for the Hoover Daily Report. It keeps you up to date on all the ways Hoover Fellows are making news, their studies, analyses, and commentaries. It'll arrive in your inbox every business day. You can also find us on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at Hoover INST, at Hoover Inst. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. Thanks for sitting in with us today. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more research by our fellows on the 2016 election, please visit hoover.org slash decision 2016. For more podcasts from Hoover, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.